Hello everyone, welcome to Summit Church Fenton. I'm so glad you've joined me today and I look forward to sharing the Word of God with you. I've been conducting a series titled Jesus the Great Storyteller. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the parables that Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. And of course, a parable is a simple story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And so Jesus taught many parables and uh, again, simple stories that illustrated spiritual, spiritual truths about the kingdom of heaven because he would start many of his parables out by saying the kingdom of heaven is like unto. And so by studying the parables, we learn much about how God thinks, how he operates, and, and about the kingdom of God and how it, how it operates. So anyway, if you've missed any of the previous sessions, you can find them for free in our archives. Now, with that being said, let's, uh, let's move on with some new parables today. The parables today uh, that, that I want to talk to you about warn about the dangers of religious traditions, uh, religious man-made traditions, okay? So the parables we're going to look at today warn us about the dangers of man-made religious traditions. So with that being said, let's go to Mark, the second chapter, Mark, the second chapter, and you can find this parable also in Matthew 9 and Luke 5, but I'm going to read it out of Mark, the second chapter. Verse 18 says, the disciples of John, that's the disciples of John the Baptist, and of the Pharisees were fasting. Uh, Then they came and said to Jesus, why did the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Now, if you study into this just a little bit, uh, you will see that they were observing a fast here that was a religious man-made tradition that had been adopted by the legalistic Pharisees. Okay, so this fast was not something that the the Bible uh, uh, commanded to do. It was something that was a, a it was adopted. Uh, it was a religious man-made tradition. And actually a fast was commanded in the Old Testament. But, uh, but, but they uh, took that and added to it. And uh, much I could say about it, but just for the sake of simplicity here, what was being observed here by the Pharisees and their disciples. And, and notice even John the Baptist's disciples. Think of that. Even John the Baptist's disciples were, were, had got caught up in observing this religious man-made tradition that, that again, it, it was something that was observed in the Old Testament, but what they were doing here was not commanded by the Old Testament. It was something that people had taken and and from a truth, from a God-given command, they had taken it and they had they had uh, 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 made a tradition out of it, a man-made tradition out of it. And these Pharisees, their disciples, and like I just said, even the disciples of John the Baptist were caught up in this and doing this, this fasting. And... Uh, and they said to Jesus, how come your disciples aren't doing this? And it's because, you know, bottom line, it was a man-made tradition. But let's read on here in verse 19. Jesus says to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast 
while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Uh, then he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine uh, bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. And so sometimes these are known as the parable of the cloth and the wineskins. But ultimately, as we'll see, and I've already mentioned that what, this, what these parables are warning us about are, are the dangers of following uh, man-made religious traditions. Now, I do want to say this before I move on with the man-made religious traditions. I think uh, this little side journey is worthwhile. Sometimes people will uh, take verse 22 and talk about the wineskins. And they'll, they'll say, no one puts new wine in old wineskins or else a new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. Sometimes people will uh, lift this verse out of context, which they shouldn't do, but they'll lift it out of context and they'll talk about the, the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I just, I don't know, I feel impressed just to make a statement about that. You know, now you shouldn't pull this verse out of its context, but sometimes people do. And, and they talk about that, you know, uh, a, a person before they can receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit must first be born again. And you know what? Even though we shouldn't pull this verse out of its context, what I just said about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the new birth it is, it is important. And I just feel impressed to make a statement that, that, you know, a person, uh, a sinner needs to be born again, okay, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two separate experiences, and, and it's sad to say that so much of the, 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 the church world, the denominational church world, they have no idea about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They just... Uh, uh, you know, know about the new birth. Sad to say, a lot of, de of the denominational churches don't even teach the new birth. It's sad to say. Jesus told Nicodemus in John, the third chapter, you must be born again. And, and, and you know, in, in light of this wineskin parable, you know, uh, the old wineskin must become new and then, and then before it's filled with the, the, the wine, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, because uh, wine is likened unto the Holy Spirit in Scripture, you must be born again before you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, much of the church world, you know, will, will, will say, yes, you must be born again. Like I said, a lot of denominations have never even heard about the new birth. Sad to say, but you must be born again. What does that mean? That means you've repented of your sins. You've, you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and at that moment you become born again. Uh, you're spiritually translated out of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of the devil over into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus. The Bible says that you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your spirit is reborn 
the, the term new birth also means to be born from above. The Holy Spirit, he, he, he enters you at that time and you become born of the Spirit, a new person in Christ Jesus. You could say a saved person. Uh, that's when you truly become a Christian. You're not a Christian just because you live in a quote unquote Christian nation or you go to a uh, a church that that has uh, you know a uh, Christian sign on the door you know or because you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a or or whatever, absolutely not. You're a Christian because you've been born again, and that's when you become born of the Spirit of God. That's when we could say the old wine skin becomes new. <laughs> Okay, And you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. The Bible says if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. And, and so, uh, and, and many, many people, uh, you know, of course, if you're born again, truly born again, you understand that when you got born again, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. But then there is an experience subsequent to that, which is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where, where, where it, it, you get what the Bible calls filled with the Spirit. Now, when you get born again, the Holy Spirit is already in you, all right. But there is a subsequent experience, you see it in the Bible, where you can be what Jesus himself called baptized with the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I like this example of like a glass of water versus a swimming pool. And if someone takes a, a drink of a, 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 out of a, a glass, a drink of water, you have the Holy Spirit in you, okay? The water's in you. The water is in you. If you take a drink of water out of a glass, the water's in you. But there's a difference between taking that drink of water and jumping into a swimming pool. I think you'd agree with me on that. They both have to do with water. One, you've taken a drink of water, the water's in you. The other, you've jumped in the pool and you've been immersed, <laughs> you're immersed with water. Well, the same thing is true about the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, that's like taking a drink of water. You have the Holy Spirit in you, okay? But then when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's like jumping in the swimming pool and you're overwhelmed and full of the Holy Spirit. And, and an initial evidence of that is the speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Some say, well, speaking in tongues has passed away. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. That won't pass away until Jesus comes back. Read your Bible, study it carefully. You'll see that. The, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is still for today. And, and what's really sad is that, is that so many Christians don't understand or know about the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they've never been taught about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't feel impressed to go into a whole hour sermon on that. I could, but it's in our archives somewhere. You can find it where I've spent a whole, a whole hour teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but simply put, you see, well, let me put it this way. Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, and you go in the Bible and find these, these verses of Scripture, be a good assignment for you. When he was raised from the dead, he came in amongst his disciples, and he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they were born again. You know, you have in the Bible two times where God breathed, what, what, what you would, would find where he breathed. Uh, uh, he breathed in the, in the Garden of Eden. He breathed, you know, there in the book of Genesis, he breathed into man. And, and he became a living soul into Adam, you know. And so when God breathed the first time, man was born. 
And then when Jesus came in after he was raised from the dead amongst his disciples and breathed on him, said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, man was born again right there. Glory to God. And you see, that was like them taking a drink of water. They had water in them. They were born of the Spirit. But then he also told that same group to go into Jerusalem and wait there until they would be endued with power from on high, until they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they went in, and you can see this in Acts, the second chapter. They went in and they tarried there, waited there, in the in that upper room there in Jerusalem, and I believe it was was some what fifty days later, day of Pentecost. Penta means fifty. Day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place, and they heard from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole place where they were sitting. And cloven tongues of fire sat upon each and every one of them. You know, there's about 120 people there. You know, they were all filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were speaking the wonderful works of God. You can see that in Acts, the second chapter. But you see this group, they were baptized, or they were born of the Spirit when Jesus came in amongst them and, and breathed upon his disciples there, you know, in that closed up room. Said, receive the Holy Spirit. They, and they did. They were born again. And then some 50 days later, whatever it was there, you know, in that upper room, that same group, he told that same group that was born of the Spirit, he told them to go and wait to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and glory to God. And so there's a, there is a, 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 a subsequent experience to being born again, whereby you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now you could also see in the book of Acts, where uh, Philip was in Samaria. And look it up, you could find it. Find, find there in the book of Acts where Philip was in Samaria. And, or, uh, he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And, and, and they received the things which he, which he, uh, 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 was pre, preached Christ and they received Christ. They received Jesus, you know. Well, when you receive Jesus, you get born again. So the city had gotten born again, the people in the city, you know. But then, if you read it carefully, it says then that he sent for, uh, Peter and John to go down there and they came down and, and they ministered the baptism of the Holy Spirit with, uh, unto him, you see. Glory to God. So there is a, there is a subsequent experience to being born again, whereby you ought to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance. And then if you go over actually into Acts, I believe it's the 10th chapter, when the gospel uh, was preached to the Gentiles by Peter, and they're in Cornelius' house right there at the end of Acts, the 10th chapter. He, uh, Peter was preaching the gospel to them about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, they got the, the one-two punch, so to speak. What I mean by that is they got born again and baptized with the Holy Ghost, just bang, bang, one, it, it just, it, it just, just, just faster than you, I could snap my finger. You could read it. It, it, it. Peter preached Christ to him, and and they got born again, and then they began, so they got born of the Spirit. They got born again. You see, that's what you need to go to heaven. You don't have to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak with tongues to go to heaven. You just must be born of the Spirit. But but I tell you what, if you want to be all that you can be for God and be full of the power of God, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a, a requirement to go to heaven, but being born of the Spirit is. But but anyway, there at Cornelius' house, they were born again. Then, then, then the Spirit of God fell on them. They were baptized with the Holy Ghost and, and, and they spoke with other tongues and, and so on and so forth. You see, they got what I call the one-two punch. They got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit just that quick. Glory to God. Now with that group that Jesus 
Uh, we talked about where he came in among his disciples. Now, they had to wait 50 days because the Holy Ghost hadn't come in, in into the earth yet to baptize people in the Holy Ghost. But now you don't have to wait any time at all. You get born again. You can then be baptized in the Holy Ghost just, just, just like that and speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Absolutely. And then if you read in Acts 10 there, after they were baptized, they were born of the Spirit, then they were baptized with the Spirit. And then Peter says, can any man forbid water that these should not be uh, you know, water baptized also? So then, then they got water baptized, which actually proves you don't have to be water baptized to be saved because they were saved. Then they were, born, they were born of the Spirit. They got saved, became a Christian. Then they were instantly baptized with the Holy Spirit, spoke with other tongues. And then he said, now water baptize them. Glory to God. Praise God forevermore. Actually, three baptisms. There's the baptism into Jesus Christ when you get saved and have faith in him. And that's the one that gets you into heaven. And then the second baptism would be a, 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 a water baptism, which is very important. Won't save you, but very important. And then there's the baptism, as we've been talking about, in the Holy Spirit. And that's where you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And in line with this parable, you get filled with the new wine. Glory to God. Uh, or you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And you speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Now, one other thing I feel impressed. Sometimes folks have trouble speaking. when well, they get baptized in the Holy Ghost, but they have trouble speaking with tongues. And, you know, uh, uh, what I had to learn is you have to yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. Also, I learned this. You can't speak in tongues out of your head. I tried to do that. You can't do it. Uh, speaking in tongues is, I call it a bubbling that comes up from the inside. That's where the Holy Ghost is. He's inside your spirit. And, and he'll give you a, an utterance. And then you speak forth as he gives the utterance. I know after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I know I had a dickens of a time speaking in other tongues because I thought it was something holy. First, I thought the Holy Ghost was going to make me. First of all, I tried to do it out of my head. Well, first of all, I thought the Holy Ghost was going to make me do it. He's not going to make you do anything. You have to yield to him. Then I tried to do it out of my head and the tongues, they're not in your head. They come up from here, as I already said. And so I was having dickens of a time. And I'll just tell you a little humorous story with me. Humorous story with me. <laughs> for, for several weeks after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I could speak in tongues and I was going to work and uh, and I was running late and I was going to uh, drive up highway 44 I remember right where I was and I go over go past this one place and there was a police a policeman there and he was radaring and, and he shot me with the radar gun my car you know and, and I started speaking in tongues glory to God I was, I was speeding you know I started speaking in tongues and I've been speaking in tongues ever since so I kid with people that have trouble speaking in tongues I said well I'm going to get a radar gun from a police officer and she shoot you with the radar gun I say that jokingly, but in all seriousness, you need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. The old wine skin needs to be a new wine skin. And then you need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Praise God. And, uh, and, and then y'all, you need to be water baptized also. Okay. Again, the water baptism won't save you. The baptism in the Holy Spirit won't save you. Those are things you need to have and need to do. But the one that saves you is a, is a baptism into Jesus where you get born again. I don't know. I just felt impressed to share that with you. And so there I did. So I obeyed the Lord. So now, now we'll, we'll go on. But this parable, sometimes that wineskin verse is pulled up out of context and, and is used to preach what I just preached to you. And, and you, you know, you shouldn't take scripture out of context. You shouldn't. 
Because you see, if you take scripture out of context, you'll eventually, you, you, you'll get into error somewhere or another. But now in this case, you could pull that scripture out and you could, you know, you could preach a good sound doctrine, which I just preached about the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Ghost to you. But you need to realize that that's not what that verse is, is talking about. It actually is in the context of talking about uh, these uh, disciples, even the disciples of John the Baptist, fasting according to a uh, uh, religious tradi- man-made tradition. And they shouldn't have been. And Jesus, his disciples weren't doing that. And you see, the Pharisees were all confounded and, and upset about that. And uh, oh, one other thing, too, I wanted to say about the, the, the parable here of the cloth and the wineskins. Something else they can illustrate, they can illustrate, and so, sometimes you'll hear Bible teachers take these parables and teach about this, and it, and, and, and there is a truth, uh, 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 oh, and by the way, I, well, well I, I wanted to say this to you, I just glanced down at my notes and I saw this, I almost forgot to say it, but I remember in, in a certain church I was in many years ago, a pastor, there's a man started attending, he was a visitor, and uh, he wore, I mean, every Sunday he wore a suit and a tie. And I mean, he just dressed right up to the hilt, brought a Bible with him every week. I tell you what, he he visited there and he came for several weeks and uh, just there every Sunday. And then one Sunday, the pastor made a, a call for people that wanted to be, uh, be baptized in the Holy Spirit to come up. Well, this man came up. Now, the pastor, he assumed that because the man wore a suit and brought a Bible every Sunday, he assumed that the man was born again, born of the Spirit. So when he made that call for the uh, 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 baptism in the Holy Ghost, this guy came up and the pastor began to, you know, minister the uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And one way you could do it is through the laying on of hands. And we lay, when he laid hands on this guy, he, he didn't receive. And long story short, the pastor called on me to take this guy back in, in the office and, and, you know, talk to him and minister to him. And long story short... I found out that this man wasn't even born of the Spirit. And, and, and I learned a lesson there. We must not assume that just because somebody dresses a certain way or acts a certain way or carries a Bible with them, that, that we must not assume that just because of that, that they're, that, that they're born again or that they're educated in spiritual things. You know, looks could be deceiving. And I sat with the man and I talked with him and he didn't even know he needed to be born again. So I preached the new birth to him and he got born again. Then I shared the baptism of the Holy Ghost with him. He got baptized in the Holy Ghost. See, you have to be born of the Spirit before he can be baptized with the Spirit. Glory to God. Then eventually he went on, got water baptized. Praise God. Well, I, I, I wanted to get that into you. We, let's don't be deceived by the way people look. Because like I said, people can look a certain way and you think a certain thing about them and it could be totally and completely wrong. So anyway, there you go. But this parable of the cloth and the wineskins, it, it, it can also illustrate because they had taken something from the Old Testament, this fasting here, and they, they, they'd made a man-made tradition out of it. And I just felt impressed also to say this to you before I get to the actual, uh, uh, what, what, what the Holy Ghost is trying to really get across to us from this parable. But these other side journeys can help you as much as anything. But, but one thing that, that these parables of the cloth and the wineskin can illustrate is that we should not mix Old Testament rituals with New Testament grace. I'll say that again. We should not mix Old Testament rituals with New Testament grace. Now, it's very important that you understand that. Now, I want to read this quote from St. Augustine. 
And, and he made this statement. He said the new, talking about the New Testament, the Old Testament, he said the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. And praise God, thank God for the Old Testament. And, and I enjoy the Old Testament and, and, and I've studied the Old Testament and we should all as Christians study the Old Testament. And I've said this for years. I don't believe that you can have a full uh, understanding as you should of the New Testament unless you have a good working knowledge of the Old Testament. And, and in one way, you can't, you can't separate the two. And, and there's many prophecies in the Old Testament that haven't even yet been fulfilled that we're going to fulfill as we go on out in time. So, so, you know, now some people, some people have discarded the Old Testament completely. And they just say it's, you know, we just don't pay no attention to it at all, period. We just live over here in the New Testament. Well, we do live over here in the New Testament. And, 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 uh, you know, and we don't live in the Old Testament. But some people have just disregarded the Old Testament completely. And I think we make a mistake when we do that. Yet other people, I'm talking Christians now, uh, they want to just live in the Old Testament. They want to just live in the Old Testament. Again, some Christians have disregarded it altogether. But I tell you what, I've met far more Christians that want to live in the Old Testament. And this is what I believe the Holy Ghost wants me to warn you about. I mean, certainly don't disregard the Old Testament. But we don't want to, we don't want to live over in the Old Testament either. And I believe what the Spirit of God really wanted me to warn you about is don't live over the Old Testament. We can learn from it. I agree with St. Augustine, what I just quoted to you. And we need to have a working knowledge of the Old Testament. I enjoy the Old Testament. Much we learn from it. And, and the, the Bible says it was written for our examples and, and all of that. And I spend a good deal of time reading and studying the Old Testament and the prophets and so on. Absolutely I do. But but I don't live there. We live over here in the New Testament. The Old Testament is, is types and shadows. The New Testament over here in the light. Why do we want to live in the shadow? Well, we ought to be when we can live over here in the light. You understand that. But yet I've seen so many churches and so many people. They want to live in the Old Testament. And they bog down in all the ritualism and all of that of the Old Testament. And we make a mistake if we try to live in the Old Testament. No, we're the New Testament church. We ought to live in the New Testament. I remember uh, many years ago, I went uh, uh, with a certain pastor and his wife when I was just kind of new, new in the, I, I learned some things about the Bible, but, uh, but anyway, I, I was much younger and I went with them to a certain church over in Illinois, uh, just, uh, you know, on the other side of the Mississippi River there, you know, and, because uh, I live in St. Louis area. And so we went over there and I remember going into this church and it was, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. You'd have thought you went back in time into the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament forms of worship and it looked more like a synagogue than it, than it did a church. We make a mistake when we, when, when, when we do that, you know. And that church, it never was uh, all that it could have been or should have been for the Lord. It, 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 there was a, a lack of power in it, you see, because they were trying to live over in the shadows of the Old Testament instead of living over here in the light of the new, you see. And yet I've seen so many Christians, they, 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 they want to live over in the Old Covenant, over in the Old Testament. Well, thank God for the Old Covenant. And from the Old Covenant came the New. But let's live in the New, not in the Old. I remember I had many years ago, a certain man came to my church. And long story short, I, he wanted, really, he sat, finally, he, he wanted to have lunch with me. I, I went out and had lunch with him and he sat there. And long story short, he, he wanted me to turn 
Summit Christian Church, Summit Church, he wanted me to turn it essentially into a synagogue. Now, this man was born again, all right. He loved the Lord Jesus, but he wanted me to bring all the Old Testament customs and customs and things into the into the church and t- turn it over into a in, in, into a synagogue. I, I wouldn't do it. And he got mad and left. Well, he has to go. I wished him well. But but we live in the New Testament. So, and, and you know, for some reason, I, I, as I've dealt as I've dealt with intercessory prayer people over the years, and I, I, I found them to have a problem with this, is that they just tend to want to go back and live, live in that old covenant. Well, I, like I said, thank God for the old covenant, but we don't live in it. We live in the new. But, and I think that's one thing that the, 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 this, the parable of the old uh, cloth and the new cloth, the old wineskins and the new wineskins teach us that, you know, thank God for the old, but let's don't live in the old. Let's, let's, let's have the new. Can you say amen? But when you, and the Bible says in Romans 6, 14, says we're, uh, we are not under law, but under grace. Glory to God. We're not under law, but we're under grace. So we must not mix the Old Testament rituals with New Testament grace. And of course, you can see, well, that's what the church in Jerusalem did. You could read that in the book of Acts. And it just got all messed up. Started, you think about that church in Jerusalem. That's where the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, a powerful church. But, but they, they let all those rituals and, and whatnot come in from the old covenant, try to get back under the old covenant. And it just, it, 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 it just was a mess. You could read that in the book of Acts. You see that with the, with the churches of Galatia and, and in the book of Colossians and the apostle Paul warns about not, not, not being encumbered with the, with the rituals of the Old Testament because we're not under law, we're under grace. So anyway, that's what you can, you can make some arguments that these parables are trying to point out to us as well but actually as it pertains to the parables here of the cloth and the wineskin if you look at verse 18 which we've already talked about this parable actually illustrates that the liberty we have in Christ which is represented by the new cloth and the new wineskins must not be mixed with the man-made religious traditions represented by the old cloth and the old wineskins. And that's what I want to really center in on as I move to the next parable. Because of the context of verse 18, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. That was a man-made tradition. And they came and said to Jesus, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but yours do not? Because Jesus wasn't going to let, see, he was responsible for his disciples right there. And he wasn't going to let them get into the same area that these other people were in, you see. And uh, so in, in, in context of verse 18, the, the, this parable that we're reading here about the cloth and the wineskins and the, and the bridegroom and so forth, all of that actually illustrates that the liberty we have in Christ, which is represented by the new cloth and the new wineskins, must not be mixed with man-made religious traditions, which is illustrated by the old cloth and the old wineskins. Now, with that in mind, let's go to this, this next parable, which will really delve in on this point here. A parable warning about religious man-made traditions. Now, notice Mark, the seventh chapter. And so we're going to start reading about a man-made tradition, and then we'll get into a parable as we go on here. But in Mark, the seventh chapter, you could also find this in Matthew, the 15th chapter, and I'd advise you to read it over there too, certainly. But here in Mark 7, verse 1, then the Pharisees and some of the scribes 
these are the religious people, came, religious people came together to, uh, to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of Jesus' disciples eat bread with, with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Now, see, uh, it was primarily because they'd been out among the Gentiles and they felt like they were unclean and whatnot. But be that as it may, whether among the Gentiles or not, they, they had this ceremony uh, that it was, it was not like we wash our hands for hygiene purposes before we eat. What they were doing was they had a ceremony that they would go through to wash their hands, to purify things before they ate so they wouldn't become defiled as they ate. Now you need to understand that. It wasn't just like we'd go wash, uh, you know, I'm going to wash my hands before I eat. We ought to do that, certainly. But, but this had nothing to do with that. This was a ceremonial hand washing that was a tradition, not, not God-ordained, a tradition of man. And we just read that. The Pharisees, verse 3, and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding, holding the tradition of the elders. See, we're looking at a parable here, warning about religious traditions. And so they would not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from, verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And primarily because they'd been around the Gentiles and whatnot, and they thought they were unclean, and all much we could say about it. And there were many other, and many others, see, not just this hand-washing ceremony, but there were many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and so forth, you know. (laughs) <laughs> lots of traditions. It's so easy to get caught up in man-made tradition, caught up in things that God never commanded in the first place. Then the Pharisees, verse 5, and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not, why do your disciples not walk according to, to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? See, they didn't wash their hands in the proper ceremonial way. See, Jesus wasn't going to let them get caught up in that error. See, pastors are responsible for, for their congregations and not letting their congregations get caught up in error and teaching them the truth. So their congregations will know not to get caught up in error. And he answered and said to them, verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, don't don't you fall in that category. Don't honor God with your lips, but let your heart be far from him. But that's what these people had done. And then he said, and in vain they worship me. Think about the powerful statements here. In vain they worship me. You know you can worship in vain? Do you know that? In vain they worship me. How? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Oh, oh my gosh. You have got to be careful with that. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And you know the church world is, is full of that sort of thing. Sad to say. Sad to say, what I'm aware here of in the United States, sad to say. Sad to say, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men for laying aside the commandment of God. See, you have to lay aside the commandment of God for the traditions of men. You, you need to realize that. You can't hold the both. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other, uh, many other things you do. He said to them, 
All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Isn't that sad? Boy, I've seen that personally, firsthand, up close, watched it in many, many other churches, watched it on media, churches and things throughout the country. (laughs) All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Oh, my, 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 my. I tell you what, I've watched people, they'd rather hold to their tradition than the commandment of God. In in fact, I've watched people reject the commandment of God to hold fast, hold fast to their tradition. And and actually, in, in Matthew's account of this, Jesus calls these Pharisees blind leaders of the blind. And then he says, you know, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. You know, sometimes this parable is called the uh, parable of the blind lead, uh, the blind leaders, you know. And, uh, and anyway, but then, then he goes on and he talks about a certain tradition. It's called Korban. I'll not get into all of it, but what they did was the Pharisees, they, 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 they taught the people that, you know, that instead of helping their elderly parents, they could take their money or whatnot and they could, could consider it Korban, which meant dedicated to the temple. And then they didn't have to use their money or whatnot to, to, to help their parents. What a despicable thing these Pharisees were doing right there. I, I look at it personally. I look at it as a money making scheme. You know, preachers, you know, you know, preachers illegitimately raising money, you know, is nothing new. It's, it's been, it goes all the way back. And, uh, and, and I think this was one version of it here, you know, dedicate it to the temple so you don't have to help your elderly parents. My, 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 much I could say about it, but this was a tradition that they were keeping and Jesus had nothing good to say about it. You could read it there uh, between verse uh, 10 and 12. But anyway, Mark 7, verse 13, he says, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition. Oh, we have to be careful about tradition. As good as the tradition might be, if it's not in line with the word of God, the tradition has to be rejected. But so many people will hold, they'll reject the word of God and hold to their tradition. I've even had people say to me, well, I don't care what the Bible says. This is the way we've always done it. Oh my gosh, you talk about trouble, trouble. Oh my goodness, but I've learned it, like I said, firsthand up close that people, I mean, you can take the word of God away from them and all right, but you take their tradition, they're ready to kill you over that. Oh my, they'd rather hold to their tradition so many than the word of God. Isn't it sad? And so many hold to their tradition because they don't know the word of God. And in many cases, it's because they've never been taught. Isn't that sad? I've learned it. You start fooling with people's idols or you start fooling with people's traditions. As a minister of the gospel, I get in the pulpit under the power of God, start teaching the word of God. I start, you know, kicking over traditions. And even if I do it with the nice, in the nicest way and, and, and preach against idolatry and tradition of men, all oh, people get mad as a wet hornet at you. Absolutely. I know it's happened many times over the years to me. Absolutely. But here in verse 13, making the word of God a no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down and many such things you do. Verse 14. So they had many of these traditions, making the word of God of no effect in their life. That's what will happen. The tradition, there's the tradition, there's no power in it. And it makes the word of God a no effect because they're hanging on to, to the tradition instead of the word of God. 
Verse 14, when he, Jesus, called all the multitude to himself, the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which uh, come out of him, those are the things that defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, now see, he, he'd gotten away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, a simple story illustrating a spiritual truth, and, 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 and they asked him about it. Now Jesus is going to give them an explanation of it. So he said to them, Are you thus uh, without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? You see, the ceremonial washing wasn't necessary. And he just said that. And as he's explaining this parable... Uh, and, and he says, what comes out of a man, that's what def, def, defiles him. See, washing, not, not adhering to that religious ceremony and not washing your hands ceremonially and eating, you know, because the Jews thought, oh my gosh, if we don't wash our hands properly in this, in this ceremony, then we eat, we put that food in our mouth that touched our hands that were not ceremonially clean, cleansed, then we'll def, become defiled. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what, as he's explaining this parable here, he's saying that's not what defiles you, what, what you eat. But, but rather he says, he said, what comes out of you? Notice verse 18. Uh, he says, are you without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever, whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles him for from within, out of the heart of man proceeds, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So again, he was, he was saying, it's not that you eat food, you know, you touch food and eat it, you know, and your, your hands haven't been cleansed, quote unquote, ceremonially in, in line with that tradition of man. Because like I said, the Jews thought if they ate that food and they hadn't ceremonially cleansed, cleansed their hands, that that food would defile them. And Jesus said, no, that food won't defile you because it just goes in your stomach. But he said, what's in the heart? What's in the heart and what comes out of the heart is what could defile a man, and then he gave a list. So, but but we have to be watchful about religious tradition, man-made religious tradition. Now, look at Luke, the 11th chapter, another instance where Jesus dealt with this religious hand-washing ceremony. Now, look at Luke 11, verse 37. And as he spoke, as, as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him, to dine with him. So he invited Jesus to out, out, out to eat. Okay. So he went in and sat down to eat. So now they're sitting there eating. When the Pharisee saw it, now, now notice again, he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, okay, he marveled. Verse 38, Luke eleven thirty-eight. he marveled. Now this Pharisee's marveling. Why? That Jesus had not first washed before dinner. Now, again, this was not a, like you and I'd wash our hands, you know, with hygiene. 
For all I know, maybe, maybe Jesus didn't go wash his hands. But what he didn't do, he didn't go through that religious hand-washing ceremony. That, see, if you don't understand the customs of the day, you can think that it's all right not to wash your hands before you eat. Hey, I wash my hands before I eat. You ought to wash your hands before you eat. I, we should good hot so, uh, water, hot, well, hot, good, hot, clean water and, and soap, good soap, you know, good soap. Wash those hands, you know, use, the, use that hand sanitizer, those hand wipes. You know, we just come out of that COVID thing. We all understand about that. But hey, wash your hands before you eat. But that's not what this is talking about. Jesus, you know, he didn't go through that ceremonial hand washing deal that man-made tradition, and this Pharisee is marveling. I mean, it just it befuddled him. It shocked him. And, and then the Lord said to him, now, now, here's what the Lord said to this guy. Now, you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean because they had a ceremony, too, that they'd have to clean the... the, the and I, I like clean dishes. It had nothing to do with clean dishes. I like clean dishes. We ought to have clean dishes. You know, I, my wife, she cooks and I do, do the dishes. Growing up, I said as a kid, I'm never doing no dishes. My mother always did it. I said, I'm not doing dishes. I'm not doing dishes. I'm not doing dishes. <laughs> well, I've been married 33 years and I've done dishes for 33 years, but it's not because my wife makes me do it. The Lord dealt with my heart. And if she's good enough to, to, to uh, cook it, I ought to be good enough to clean it. And so almost every night for 33, give or take years, however long it's been, I've been doing dishes. And I take them and I, I clean them off in the sink, you know, because I have never seen a dishwasher yet. That you, They tell you on TV you can just put those dishes in there right off the table, but I've never seen a dishwasher yet that'll clean them right. you got, you got to do some work on them first, get all the big stuff off and uh, just, you know and then I just put them in that dishwasher to sanitize them but I believe in washing dishes I like clean dishes but that's not what this is talking about this is talking about they would wash their dishes and things in a ceremony it was a ceremonial man-made religious ceremony and the Lord said to him now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness and that's what he was saying in that in that parable you know it's not what goes in the food that you eat that, that makes you defiles you but what comes out of your heart but the point here is is that this this pharisee marveled that jesus did not adhere to that old uh, or to that man-made uh, uh, religious tradition that man-made religious tradition he marveled shocked him but see jesus well he's the word made flesh he operated in line with the word of the heavenly father not in line with the traditions of men. And it made the religious people nuts. It drove them crazy. And I've learned it myself because I've dealt with lots of religious people. And you start teaching the word of God, like I said, and start monkeying with their idols and with their traditions, man-made religious traditions, and you will have a problem on your hands. I guarantee it to you. <laughs> and that's what this, this Pharisee was marveling, that Jesus did not adhere to that man-made religious tradition of that ceremonial hand cleaning before he ate. Now, so these parables are warning us, as I said, about the dangers of these man-made traditions. Now, I want to close this message with some personal observations about man-made religious traditions that I've observed over the years. It's just some personal observations about man-made religious traditions that I have uh, noted over the years. Now, there's more I could put in this list, but for the sake of time, just some of the ones that I would put at the top of the list. 
before I close. So listen carefully because sometimes people get as much out of this part of it as they do anything else. So listen carefully. But I, I know over the many years I've, I've talked to people and uh, uh, I questioned it more so when I was younger now that I've gotten older and, and you know, I, I don't, I, I don't say as much as, I, let me put it this way, I'm not as blunt as I was when I was a kid. Maybe I should be. But if I, if I saw something as a kid that was out of line with the Word of God, I'd just say, well, how come you guys aren't doing that in line with the Word of God? You know, I just, just pretty blunt like that. And I, I tell you, I still mention it, uh, you know, if I see something just blatant, but, uh, but I was more blunt, blunt and outspoken when I was younger. I guess all of us to some degree, uh, are or were, but be that as it may, I'd say I'd say to a pastor, well, "How come you're doing that? I can't find that in the Bible." And I've had I've had a good number of them say to me, essentially, you know, putting it pretty close. They didn't say it maybe this blunt, but they said we don't care, we don't care what the Bible said. That's our church has always done it that way, and that's how we've always done it. That's how we're going to do it, you know. <laughs> but, but but that's not in the Bible. Well. That's the way we've all, all, all always done it. And, and, and like I said, maybe I haven't had them just bluntly say, well, we don't care what the Bible says, but, but I've had them say, well, you know, I say, show me in the Bible. Where is that in the Bible? And they can't do it, won't do it, can't do it. Sidestep the issue and say, well, we've always done it that way. That's how we're going to do it. <laughs> you know, our parents did it that way. Our grandparents did it that way. And then parents before their parents before them did it that way. And that's how we're going to do it. I said, but it's not in the Bible. And there's no power in the church, no, you know, but that's the way we've always done it. And uh, so I've observed that uh, firsthand. I asked people, what Bible verses do you have to back that, whatever it is they were doing? What Bible verses do you have? They, they, don't, they can't cite any. Isn't that sad? And then here, here, here but, but that being said, let, let me be a little more specific. Here's one. What about praying over our food? Now we've been we've been talking about the hand washing ceremonies here before they ate, but let's talk about where you and I live, praying over our food. What about praying over our food? Let me ask you: Do you pray over your food? It's just to show you how easy it is to slip into a, a religious man made tradition. How do you pray over your food? Do you pray over your food? Is it, is it when you pray over your food, is it a heartfelt prayer of a righteous person? Effectual, fervent prayer? Or is it just something that you do in tradition just because you know you're supposed to do it? <laughs> you know, I, I believe that, that, that we should, as a general rule, pray over our food. And I do. You know, Jesus, our Lord, our example, the Lord himself, he blessed the food, gave thanks to the Father, and, and blessed it and broke it and gave it, you know, out to the disciples. Remember when they, the multiplying of the loaves and the fish and all of that. But he, Jesus blessed the food. And in First Timothy, First Timothy, the fourth chapter, the fourth and fifth verses says, Every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified. By the word of God and and prayer, so I believe we can make good good uh, uh, have good biblical backing here that we ought to pray over our food, uh, 
I tell you what, it talks about doing, in doing this, it's the food sanctified. I tell you what, if you've eaten, if you've eaten in some of the restaurants, if you have eaten in some of the restaurants that I have eaten in, you had better pray over your food. Uh, because, and you know, you know, my mother, she'd never eat out in a restaurant very seldom. And I say, how come, mom? She said, you don't know who's back there cooking. She said, you don't know what they're doing with that food. You don't know how something falls on the floor and they pick it up. Hamburger falls on the floor. They pick it up, just throw it on your sandwich or how they might, you know, do something else crude to your food. You don't know. I mean, you don't know. I mean, there's already, I mean, there's been times I've been in, you know, went in to order something and you see people back there and they got the gloves on. All right. They got their plastic gloves on, but they're digging in their ear, digging in their nose with the gloves on and then they're handling the food. I have to leave. I I can't, I can't, I can't eat eat there. (laughs) I just, you understand, but (laughs) you know, I just, you know, I just have to just politely excuse myself. But a lot of times you don't know who's in the back cooking. And I, I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt that most restaurants are good and operating as they should. But, but I tell you what, you better pray over your food. And it better be more than just a religious tradition. I like what one preacher said. He says he prays over his food as if I'm not mistaken. He doesn't, see, he doesn't pray at the restaurant. And, and, and when he gets, he doesn't pray at the restaurant. He prays before he gets to the restaurant. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Before the, the, the cooks even start making the food, he's prayed, he's prayed over it so that they don't make a mistake or put something poisonous in or whatever, whatever the case or whatever. You know, by mistake, something or whatever. He prays, see, he prays ahead of time. And, and it makes a lot of sense. But then when he sits there and, and he served, then, then there's the preacher sitting there and he starts eating and he's not praying. Well, he already prayed before he got there. But see, people see that and they think, well, the preacher's not praying over the food. But he's already prayed over it. He's, he's a step ahead of everybody. But yet he'll get, he'll get lambasted for not praying over the food. For not doing, see, you got to watch this, this religious ceremony stuff. It can get you in trouble. Absolutely, it can. And, uh, but he, but he prays before he gets there. Then when he gets there, he doesn't pray because he already prayed, but he gets in trouble with people, make it, you know, lambast him because, whoa, brother so-and-so, look at pastor so-and-so. He didn't pray over his food, but he prayed before he got there. But see, he's not meeting, just like the Pharisees. See, Jesus didn't meet their expectation. He's not meeting their expectation, but he's more in line with the Bible than these, than these other people are that are lambasted him, you see. And uh, so I believe in praying over the food, but how do we pray? I know there's there's one uh, uh, denomination, Christian denomination, that th- they'll say this, because I've watched them since I was a kid. Over the food, they'll say, Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts, which we're about to receive from thy bounty, through Christ our Lord, amen. Now, I'm not demeaning that, thank God, but you got to be watchful, because that can become a religious tradition, and we just, well, we why are you doing that? Well, we've always done it right before we ate. And I understand, thank God, that they're trying to show respect to the Lord, I suppose, that's good, but if you're not careful, that can become a religious tradition, and we just say, say that because we've always said it, mom and daddy said it, and grandpa and grandma always said it, so we need to do it. And, and you can say all that, and, and, and make all the religious people around you real happy because, you know, they saw you say a prayer. But if it's not coming out of your heart filled with faith, it's just a bunch of words and tradition and there's no power in it. You know, <laughs> you know, I tell you what, 
you know, I, well, I was taught this prayer. And I prayed this. I learned this on Romper Room, you know, watching Romper Room. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. That's it. I prayed that for a long time. And you know what? Any of these are fine. I don't know that there's any set words that you need to pray over food. You know, sometimes I'll just say, thank you, Lord, for the food. And, you know, but but people hear me say that and they get all bothered because I didn't say a more uh, eloquent prayer. But we don't want to fall into religious uh, 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 tradition, you know. And uh, and, and so but we, we ought to pray. You know, we ought to pray. You know, one guy said, over lips, over the gums, look out, tummy, here it comes. You know, I don't say we ought to pray that kind of a prayer, but I mean, you know, but, 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 but thank God for it. And a lot of times I'll just say, Lord, thank you for this food. I can honestly say I don't ever eat food unless I, I say to the Lord, Lord, thanks for this food. But I don't always fold my hands and bow my head. And, and you know, sometimes I do, but, but, you know, Lord, thank you for the food. And, you know, it's a lifestyle, but I don't always say some long, eloquent prayer. Sometimes I do, but we don't want to fall into religious tradition. I know one time I went out uh, to lunch with one of my young assistants many years ago, and he was sitting there, and we were kind of in a rush, and the food the food came out, and, and, and I picked it up, and I started eating, and I mean, he kind of freaked out. <gasps> you know, <laughs> and, and, and I said, what's wrong? He said, you're not going to pray over that before you eat it? And I, I, I said, haven't you ever read Exodus 23, 25? And he said, Exodus 23, 25. I said, you ought to look that up. And you know what that says? It says, if you serve God, he'll bless your food and water and take sickness away from your midst. So see, I'm serving God. And so in that one case there, I didn't pray over the food. Now, I, probably under my breath, I said, Lord, thank you for the food. But he didn't hear it. And he thought, oh my gosh, Pastor Terry. Now, he wasn't being disrespectful. He was just perplexed like this Pharisee and marveled. You mean you're going to eat that food without praying over it? Well, I was in a hurry and I served God. <laughs> I served God and uh, it's sanctified. Praise God. Because the Bible says if we serve the Lord, that he'll bless our food and water, take sickness away from us. So it's, it's already blessed. But I do believe in praying over food, and I do. And you should. And like I said, if you're eating some of the places I've eaten, then you better pray over it. And, I, and a lot of times I'll declare, and my wife will tell you, if we eat, and it's not just necessarily just praying to God, but I'll make a faith declaration. And I'll say, if we eat or drink anything deadly, it'll by no means harm us. Glory to God. All these years, we've never had any problem with eating food or food poisoning or anything like that. And I give God all the glory. But I'm just saying, I'm using this praying over the food. And I don't know that there's one right way, wrong way or whatever to do it. But 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 just as long as you're thanking God for your food, you're serving him, thanking God, it's coming out of a heart full of faith. You know, that the word that food will be sanctified. Just don't fall into a religious tradition where you're saying some sort of rote, you know what I mean? Rote mechanical prayer over your food because you want it to be sanctified before you eat it. Now, uh, one other area that I was thinking about, the praying over the food. But uh, now denominational churches... Uh, you know, and when I say denominational, those that don't believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit, we could say non-charismatic churches. I talked about that earlier in this message. I see now why I talked about it earlier because it, it hooks in right here. But denominational churches, many times, denominational churches, many times become heaped, heaped, H-E-A-P-E-D, heaped in traditions of men. 
But you know what? The charismatic churches have as well. They have as well. And I, and I, and I say that because I say I came out of a denominational church, out of the Baptist church. Thank God for the Baptists. I'm still Baptist at heart, but I came over among the Pentecostals, got baptized with the Holy Ghost. See, I got born of the Spirit in the Baptist church. And then I came over among the Pentecostals, got baptized with the Holy Ghost. Praise God and uh, the charismatics, you know, and, uh, uh, but thank God for the, for, for the Baptists and, and for the denominational churches. But, uh, uh, but, but, uh, I noticed, uh, uh, tradition in the Baptist church, you know, man-made tradition, but come over among the charismatics over the last many years or decade or so. I've, I've noticed uh, traditions there too, because that's the circles that I associate in. And, and one of the things I've noticed in the charismatic churches, it's sad to say, and if you're not aware of this, I'll make you aware, but if you're into charismatic circles, you, you would probably be aware of this, but, uh, uh, you know, people would come up for prayer and the, the preacher would lay hands on them and the person would fall, they call it falling under the power. Well, I believe in that. I believe in laying on of hands. I believe that the Holy Ghost, the power of God can come on somebody and they can, the, uh, the power of God knock people down. Absolutely. I've already had, had, uh, 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 people come up in the, in the, what we, prayer lines, you know, and, and, and at the direction of the Spirit of God, I'd lay hands on them. Not that I'm anything, but just barely, just barely touch them. And the power of God, sometimes I felt it, sometimes I have it, but, 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 uh, it, it feels like heat or electricity. And, uh, uh, most times I've felt it. It's electricity like, but be that as it may, most time I don't feel it, but I've watched a power God hit, hit people and just knock them down. Just not level them down. Just absolutely level them down. I think of this one guy. He's a big guy. I think of Paul Bunyan. His name was D big guy. And he came up one time and I went to pray for him. Not that I'm anything, but I just barely, I didn't even, I got my hand about an inch from his head. The power of God hit him and just knocked him cold. The usher standing behind him to catch him. They got knocked. He knocked it. He took out the whole front row. The power of God hit him. I've noticed this too. Anybody that really falls under the power of God never gets hurt. But, but, but I say that then to say this, a tradition in the charismatic churches evolved out of seeing people legitimately knocked down by the power of God. And you see people get knocked down in the Bible when Jesus, when they came to take him at the garden of Gethsemane, the power of God hit him and, and they all fell over backwards. Remember that? And, 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 and in, in different instances, you know, when John saw him on the Isle of Patmos, he fell down as dead, you know. I mean, the power of God came on him. In other instances, we could talk about there when they dedicated Solomon's temple, you know. Remember that? The power of God came in there. The anointing of the Spirit of God came in there. And the ministers couldn't stand up to minister because the power of God was so strong. Down they went. I believe in that. But what has been developed out of that is, is a tradition of men where, you know, I know for a long time there, I go down laying, I've laid hands on thousands of people over the years and, and so many of them fallen. And you know, when they fall, it's not the power of God. It's just a learned behavior. And they've seen other people fall and they fall just to be fallen. Way to correct that is take the catchers. The ushers take the catchers out. If you take the ushers, take the catchers out, it solves that. It really does. It really does. Now you might open yourself up to a lawsuit if somebody falls. <laughs> they should be falling. They get hurt. So I can see why you put the catchers in for that. But you take the catchers out. You eliminate all the theatrics. 
See, but a bunch of theatrics, and you've seen if you watch some of the healing evangelists on television, and they'll, 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 you know, uh, it, it's become theatrical where, where people fall down. And, and I'd say, I'd say probably 98% of the falling that you've seen in charismatic churches is not the power of God, sad to say, but it's learned behavior and people falling and then the, 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 because they saw somebody else do it. And the sad thing is, is that a lot of times people think that, like when you're praying for healing for somebody, they think, well, if they fall down, down that they, they that the spirit of god was there and they got healed and if you don't follow you don't get healed but you know what in being in the healing ministry for nearly three decades most of the people that got healed i'd say 98 percent of the people that were miraculously healed in our meetings never fell under the power of god we didn't feel anything nothing like that no electricity no heat just we laid hands on people in in, in accordance with the word of god and i've had them come back with doctor's reports and x-rays say pastor here it was the cancer was here now it's gone can you say amen you didn't feel anything now sometimes you feel some things you know, glory to god but you don't want to build a man-made tradition on it. And sad to say, much of the falling down. And then, if that's not enough, it's gotten so bad where you'll see, you see it even yet, where you'll see preachers and, and, and trying to, if people don't fall, because see, that's it's, it's a religious tradition. If people don't fall, the preacher will stay there and, and lay hands on them and, and go and go and go and push on them and push on them and push on them, and, you know, and push them and push them and push them to, until they fall on the floor. See, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not, that's not God's not in that that's a man-made tradition and i used a practice of i'd lay hands on people but i just barely touch them just barely just barely uh just barely touch them and anyway uh, uh you know sometimes i laid ha- hands on people certainly where they could feel my hands but i i didn't like to slap people or or uh uh you know anything of that nature uh just barely touch them if, and if the power of god's there you know, if they yield to the power of God, sometimes they'd fall. But anyway, uh, uh, enough said on that. But you don't want to let the fall. See, I watch falling, quote unquote, under the power of God become a, a, a tradition. And then the last thing that I've seen that's troubling is back, I guess it was in the, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, God, the Holy Ghost, was moving in a, in a revival of joy. And it started out, it was, it was of the Holy Spirit and God was in it. And, 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 and the Spirit of God would move and there'd be joy. You know, people would sometimes they'd dance under the power of God or they'd, they'd laugh under the power of God. I've danced under the power of God. I mean, on, on, on a few occasions over the years, just on a few occasions, I'd sometimes preaching in the pulpit, the power of God would come on me, just dance a jig under the power of the Spirit of God. And uh, and they less I've I've had I've laughed sometimes under the power. I tell you what, you haven't lived until the Holy Ghost has come on you and you've wept and cried under the power of the Spirit of God. And so I believe in these things. But there was a movement of that going on back there. The Holy Ghost was moving in that way, and see, people saw that and they liked it. And so then they built a, a man-made tradition on that. Every time we get together, we have to laugh and 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 you know and. and uh, you know, uh, shout and, and, and run and this and that. And I, by the way, I believe in running. I, I mean, under the power of God, you see some instances, instances in the Bible where the hand of the Lord would come on people and they'd run in the power of God, you know, but you can't build a doctrine on running. And, but back there in the eighties, nineties, the power of God had come on people and they, they, they'd run. I tell you, in our services, uh, we had one guy, he, he, well, two guys, one guy who was in a motorcycle accident and his foot got his, right when I was up teaching like this, his foot got healed. And I tell you, he 
king got up and just ran around the room. Praise God. Another guy, he had broken his heel. His heel got healed. Think about that. Your heel got healed and I was up just teaching the word of God. Didn't lay hands on him or nothing. And he got up running around the room. Praise God. That's, that's, I'm, I'm all for that. One lady, she came to the service one day and she, she couldn't hardly walk. I mean, she was bent over. She could barely walk. Long story short, uh, she came in the prayer line, laid hands on her, told her, I remember, I said, go that way. So she started, I mean, she took her the longest time. She got about a third of, third of the way around the sanctuary. The power of God hit her and she's running around the room. See, I'm all for that kind of running. One night I was in the pulpit, you know, and it was Wednesday night and I was preaching and it was kind of dull, kind of dry that night, but I preached and I got done with my message and I closed my Bible and I looked at the congregation and they looked at me and it was just deader than a doornail, but just instantly, the uh, you know, suddenly the power of God came on me. Now you got to yield to the power of God. I yield to the power of God and I, you know, I'm very conservative, but I took off and I ran around the room, the sanctuary, you know, and I got back up to the front. I looked at the people and they looked at me. <laughs> I got home. I asked my wife. I said, "Did I look like a fool?" Uh, she still hasn't answered me on that. But I, I, you know, I must have looked like a fool until the next day when the call came in. My assistant took it, and, and, and he came and brought me the testimony that that, that there's a lady there that night that was sitting on the back row on the very corner seat, and she testified to him. Said when that when that, when a pastor when he ran, you know, I'm nothing. I can't heal anybody. But when the pa- all I can do is yield to the Holy Ghost. He's, she said when he ran past me. A heat, like heat, electricity, heat jumped off him and hit me in my stomach. Her belly had been blowed up like a basketball. It was bloated for days. She hadn't been able to eat. Said like the power, like fire, like heat jumped off him, hit me in my stomach, deflated my stomach, totally healed me. I was able to go out that night and eat. Can you say amen? Glory to God. So I believe in these manifestations and, and, and movings and things. I do. But... What's happened is, is that religious tradition has been built out of that and made out of that. And I'm thinking of one uh, 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 charismatic uh, uh, organization that, that I have respect for. But, but every year they'll have a couple of uh, meetings where they'll have big gatherings and they'll have like five nights where they'll, where they'll, they'll meet. And the one night, the one guy prays for the sick. And I'd say about three quarters of the people or more, don't fall down, and he spends his time pushing on them. See now, that, now see trying to trying to accommodate a man-made man some man-made tradition that you have to fall to receive from God, which you don't. And then there's another night, and it's unspoken, but you know it's a, there's another night in there where they're you know going to have their running night and and jumping night and and hooting and hollering and going on and 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 you know it's, it's hilarity. Now, now the Holy Ghost can move in the midst of that, certainly. And I mean, in there, if the Holy Ghost sometimes you move, He'll move that way, and you'll have a wonderful meeting where people shout, run, and, and I, like I said, I'm all for it. But I want the Holy Ghost in it. But now, years have come and years have gone, and and you can count on it in this particular meeting, charismatic meeting. You know, the one night the guy will be pushing people down, and the other night they'll they'll be, you know, have like a hilarious, a hilarious thing going on, and and people stumbling around like drunk people. Did you know? Did you know that 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 drunkenness is condemned in Scripture? Did you know that? They'll say, well, on the day of Pentecost they were drunken. See, and see, a religious tradition has been built out of that. Well, they were acting like drunks on the day of Pentecost. Go read Acts, the second chapter, I, I believe it is, again, very carefully. And you'll see that they all didn't think that those, those people that had been filled with the Spirit were drunk. Some of the mockers said that. 
They said that, and Peter said, these are not drunken as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You understand that? But, but, the, but what they do, they'll do is they'll say that if you're filled with the Spirit, now I know the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be being filled with the Holy Ghost. I understand that, but they'll, they equate being filled with the Spirit to acting like a drunk person, and then they'll have these meetings, and people will be acting like drunk people. Well, drunkenness is condemned in Scripture. The Bible said we ought to be of sound mind, of diligent mind. Can you say amen? And, and I, I, I've come to see that 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 would, would the precious Holy Spirit uh, uh, cause us to act like like a, like like an unregenerate drunken person? You got I mean, well, why are you acting like a drunk person? Well, cause 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 this organization I'm hooked up with, they do it, and well, where did they get it from? Well, they got it from somebody else. Where did he get it? Well, they got it from somebody. But does it go back to the Bible? You know, you can take certain verses out of context and pr- prove just about anything. You know, I want what the Holy Ghost wants. Hey, when the Holy Ghost is in manifestation, you'll have, you'll have uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues, you'll have prophecy, you'll have special faith, working of miracles, you know, and uh, gifts of healings. You'll have word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. You'll have those things going on. You'll have people being healed miraculously by the power of God. Absolutely the truth. But I tell you what, you know, you know, you don't want to have these things going on just out of religious tradition. I was thinking about running that. I believe in running under the power of God. That one service, my young assistant was there, and I remember the Holy Ghost just impressed upon me. He said, "Point your right on the inside. Point your finger at him. Tell him to run." I pointed my finger at. I said, "Run in the name of Jesus!" And he took off running under the power of God. He ran right out of. He had loafers on. He ran right out of his shoes. Glory to God. Ran around the congregation. And a blessing went out, you know, and, and people were healed. And, oh, what a wonderful time it was. But then, see, we like that. So now we're going to start running services. And, and, and next thing you know, you go a generation down the road and people are running, 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 running. They don't even know why they're running. See, that's what we got to be cautious about. We got to be cautious that we're not acting like drunk people just because somebody else did you know, years ago and before them and so forth and so forth and back and back. Well, can you find it in, and trace it into the Bible? Uh, you know, whether it's acting drunk or, or, or running or falling down or whatever it is. What I'm trying to say, we have to be careful that we don't get caught up in something and just go along with it. If it's just a man-made tradition, we want to be sure that we have the flow of the Holy Ghost. I remember, and I'll, I will close with this. Many years ago, I could see that our church was getting uh, a little overly charismatic. Now, I believe, like the one guy said, it's easier to tame wildfire than to raise the dead. So I'd rather have a church that's a little exuberant, that just dead as a doornail. So I understand that. But ours was getting... I'm talking about Summit Church. Many years back was getting a little bit, his things were starting to get a little out of control. And see, the pastor is responsible for keeping things decent and in order. And, and, and you got to be watchful now. If your pastor out there, if your church has gotten a little bit out of control, you want to keep it decent and in order. But uh, you don't want to quench the spirit either. So it's a, it's a balance there. You got to walk. But ours had gotten a little bit out of control. And I could see that, and I could see the Spirit of God wanted me to, to, to get it back where it's decent and in order. Because if you read 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, when visitors, uninformed people come to your church and the Spirit of God is moving, if it's really the Spirit of God, those unbelievers will say, God 
of a truth is among these people, they won't be saying, these, these visitors, that these people are crazy. Come on now. Come on now. I said, when a, read 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, when a visitor comes and the Holy Ghost is in manifestation, and I don't believe in putting the Holy Ghost in the back room. Absolutely not. I made a statement one time. I said, if we had, because see a lot of pastors, they want to please visitors so much that, uh, that, that they'll put the Holy Ghost in the back room to please the visitor. And I made a statement one time is we got, we got a room in the back for visitors that don't like the Holy Ghost, but we're not going to put the Holy Ghost in the back room. You know why? Because that visitor might be there next week. He might not, but I know this, the Holy Ghost will be there. So we honor him and love him. But if he's really moving, that visitor would say, unless they're just so hard-hearted that nothing's going to touch them, but if they're a legitimate person and they're looking for the things of God, the Holy Ghost starts moving, you know. They'll say God is among these people, not they're a bunch of wacko nuts. Absolutely. And so I could see our church was getting out of control, and at the direction of the Lord, I got up and taught from 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, about about, you know, we need to get our church back in, in line with 1 Corinthians 14 because we had people there that was running just to be running and, and shouting just at the wrong times and laughing just to be laughing. And, and, you know, I never did go along with, you know, that laughing. I believe there was a time that, it, that and I, I believe in the joy of the Lord. I like laughing under the power of God. I like laughing when the power of God's not in manifestation. I just like laughing. Mary Hart's good like a medicine, you know, but, uh, but uh, but we, we'd have people just just and, and when the Holy Ghost is moving, you know, when that when that laughing thing got out of control, the preacher'd be up there preaching and people be laughing, cackling like a crazy hyena. Well, that's the Holy Ghost isn't in that. If the preacher's preaching, then he's not going to. Holy Ghost isn't going to move on somebody to laugh and disrupt the preaching. Come on! But our church has gotten out of control. So I got up and I I, I told the people, I said, look, I'm all for the move of the Holy Ghost. We want to have the move of the Holy Ghost, but. But but we don't want to fall into the traditions of men here and just have these things going on, just to be having hilarious service. Let's flow in line with the uh, Bible. And you know what I had? I would say probably, and I'll close right here, about a third of the congregation challenged me on that. And essentially what they were saying is, we've seen brother so-and-so do this, big name minister. We've seen another brother so-and-so, big name minister do it. Uh, you know, they're doing it over here, they're doing it over there, they're doing it here, they're doing it there. And and I said, yeah, but look, where do we find, where, where, how can we back this up with the, you know, happening regularly all the time with the Bible? How do we do that? I, we, you know, and these people essentially said to me, essentially, they may not have said it this bluntly, but essentially they said to me, we don't care what the Bible says we know this big name minister is doing it. This big name minister is doing it. And they're doing it over here at this big church. And they're doing it here. They're doing it here. And we're going to, by golly, do it too. And I said, well, here at Summit Church, we want to, I want to line this up with the Word of God. And they hit the road, Jack. Is it that sad? They, they were more concerned and wanted to hold to their man-made tradition than they did, than they wanted to hold to the Word of God. Isn't that sad? But, say, if you could do that over again, what would you do? I'd do exactly what I did. Exactly, because I obeyed God and I tried to keep my church in line with the Word of God. So, anyway, well, hey, I hope you've enjoyed this today. And uh, you might want to go back and listen to this one a couple times. You might need to do that to digest it all. But, um, but I hope it blessed you today. And uh, so don't get caught up. 
uh, in man-made religious traditions. Live in the light of the New Testament and have scripture, scriptural backing for what you do. And you'll, you'll be in good shape. Okay, if you're out there today and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to get born of the Spirit. Repent of your sins. Receive Jesus Christ. Call on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you'll miss hell. You'll make heaven one day. He'll make your life worth living in the meantime. And hey, then ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And then yield your tongue to him. Speak in other tongues as he gives you the utterance. Hey, go out and get water baptized. And uh, and if we can help you in any way, uh, contact us. Email or phone and we'll be glad to pray with you. Mix our faith with you in any way that we can. All right. God bless you. We'll pick up with another parable right here next week. Bye-bye.